0: Welcome to another episode of Breakfast Theology. My name is Josiah Kane. And I'm Chuck Jones. But today is different. Today is special, but not by choice. <laughs> That's right. Because
1: of the laws in Michigan, we can't go to a restaurant, sit down, have breakfast and talk.
0: Right. So we're here uh, at my office at the church, sipping on some coffee this morning. I guess we do have some snacks that we use here Wednesday night. We could have some, more, some Oreos for breakfast or Nutty Buddies if we, if we really wanted to. But uh, yeah, so all we got this morning is coffee. Uh, it will be a quieter episode. There will be no background noise. Yep. Except for you might be able to hear the small little office heater I have going in the background. But uh, last week <clears throat> we talked about the topic of hell. And kind of uh, tried to set things uh, straight biblically, and talk about it in a way that's the uh, way that is talked about in the Bible. And so this week we're going to carry that discussion on, but this this time about heaven instead of hell. Okay. Trying to determine <clears throat> uh, what it is the Bible actually says about it, um, but before we get into what the truth is we have to kind of get into what the stereotype is. Okay. So, uh, what do you think kind of the stereotype is about heaven and our time? Oh,
1: it's just a wonderful place and if you're a good person and you die, that's where you're going to go.
0: It's amazing how much I think Looney Tunes has helped the American people visualize the afterlife to visualize what is going to come so you get bonked on the head really hard in Looney Tunes and then you grow wings and a halo appears above your head. The implication you turn into an angel or, or something like that. And then you fly away up to the clouds where you play a harp and you're uh, in so-called paradise there. Yeah. Um, a few problems with that. Just. A few. Just a few. Uh, there's no place specifically in Scripture that says that you turn into an angel when you die. Now, that's not as big of a mainstream belief as um, going up to heaven when you die, but there are some people, especially when when young kids die, where they say, oh, God needed another angel in heaven or something Mm -hmm. like that. And so it's still in the air the misbelief that um, that we do become an angel or something like that uh, when we die. And then there's this bigger misunderstanding about uh, where we where we go. Immediately it seems as if the second your heart stops beating or whatever medically happens when you're dead, that you go to heaven, your soul, so to speak, your your identity, whatever that exactly means goes to be with God and uh, lives where he lives forever. Now there's the, the initial problem that I see with that is what is the point of resurrection? That's true. That's kind of what my mind first goes to. If we go to paradise right when we die then what's the point of having a resurrection? If people go to hell right when they die then what's the point of having a final judgment? You know those are kind of like those are major biblical themes that seem to be overwritten by these beliefs. Yep. So it's just kind of, uh, just kind of asking yourself some questions. Does this seem to make sense with the Bible?
1: Yeah. Well, it is convenient to talk about from it, the conversation sense that I want to go to heaven. It makes a nice sentence. Yeah. Although it doesn't make any sense, talking about the kingdom of God takes a little more effort. And the other part of that is, in my mind, that would mean that you did you really die? Is your soul going to heaven? And the rest of you staying here?
0: Mm-hmm. The idea of a soul that there's some kind of part of us that's detached, detachable, Mm -hmm. some kind of identity or life that is outside of our body is even a non-biblical idea in and of itself. That is a Greek idea, this idea of an immortal soul. Yes, it is. This kind of idea that there is this existence before you or it came into existence when you came into existence and then there's this part of you that's separable; it can be, it can be separated from you, and and be you outside of you. But there's this really interesting passage in Genesis when God talks about making man and woman. When he when he talks about when he talks about creation, uh, Genesis two seven said, "Then the Lord formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life." And the man became a living being. Now that, that Hebrew word for being is actually the word for soul. And so kind of what I see as a correct biblical interpretation of what a soul is, is the combination of body and breath. The combination of a physical body and God's life force flowing through us. And that's what makes us a soul. And so when you hear in the Bible when it says, uh, when a person dies, their breath returns to God that life force, the thing that keeps them beating, goes back to God, it it leaves them, and therefore they cease. It's
1: not their soul.
0: It's not their soul. It's not like their identity that goes back to God. It's actually their soul dies, in the sense the living being is dead at that point. And it's not until God reunites his breath with the body at the resurrection does that person become alive again. So the, the idea of a soul is actually what we would just call a person. Yeah, a, oh, uh, yourself and a live person,
1: right? Peter wrote something in the first chapter, in verse twenty-two. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love, another, love one another fervently with a pure heart having been born again, hmm. purified your soul, yourself, your life. Mm-hmm. And I, I do believe
0: we have spirit. The The spirit of God is talked about as uh, a breath or wind. Yeah. And it's kind of the idea of the properties of those things. An, an invisible, you can't see it, but it's a force, and it's, and it's able to move things and do things. Mm-hmm. And... So I don't want to say that we're not spiritual beings. We're not, there is no soul that we have. Well, actually, I do want to say there is no soul that we ha- We don't have a soul. We are a soul. Right. It's not like a soul is a separate thing that we possess. But, yeah. I, do, but I don't want to say that we're non-spiritual beings because we are. God created us that way.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, maybe a fire would be a good example. Maybe. You can be the judge of it. But there, it takes three things for to make a fire, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Fuel, heat, and oxygen. Yep. If you take one of those away, you take your body and your breath away, your soul stops.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: I don't know if you've ever seen a murder mystery on TV or read a murder mystery book, but that happens.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. And as you were talking about earlier, it's way more... I don't know, convenient might be the word to talk about your loved ones going to heaven. It's comforting. It is comforting to know that they are currently with Jesus and God in paradise at that exact moment in time. Somehow looking down on you and comforting you and they're they are with you in a sense yes right then
1: and you know the verse from Ecclesiastes that the dead
0: don't know anything there are no plans or knowledge or wisdom in the grave
1: yep and David even in the Psalms has said who can worship you from the grave
0: right so it's kind of a lot harder to be okay with your loved one actually being dead. Um, now there is a, a flip side of that. The benefit is they're not instantly in hell either. You know, if you don't think you're the person that you knew was that they didn't believe in Christ, they didn't repent, they obviously were atheists, they were hard against it. You can also be certain that they're not in hell at that exact moment in time. Just like you're certain they're not in heaven at that exact moment in time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Here is a good way of thinking about it that helps you, helps those maybe who want to push back against the, or who, who are uncomfortable with that notion. The Bible talks about, the it talks about death as sleep, mm-hmm. right?
1: Yes, it does.
0: And... When you go to bed, unless you have a really restless night, let's say you have a really good, good night of sleep. So you go to bed at like 9, 9 p.m. and you close your eyes. You're unconscious, essentially. You have no idea of time or anything. And then you wake up and it's light outside and it's a different day and it's a different time. That is exactly why the Bible uses the analogy of sleep to talk about yes. death. Because when you die, it's like falling asleep at night. And when you wake up, It's going to be a new time and a new day. And so it's kind of like you're missing all that in-between time. So my grandpa died a couple years ago, right? But David, the king of Israel, died. They are both unaware of the time passing right now, equally unaware of the time passing right now. But when Jesus comes again and he comes to resurrect everybody on the earth for judgment, or he comes to resurrect the righteous back to life first, they are both going to be resurrected at the same time. And they are both gonna be unaware of the time since they died. So to David, it's gonna be like he closed his eyes and then he opened them again and Jesus is here. To my grandfather, it's gonna be as if he closed his eyes and then opened them again, like you woke up, all that time has passed and Jesus is here. And that reminds me of 1 Thessalonians 4, where Paul says, "'We do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, this is verse 13, about those who are asleep. Now, Paul's not talking about people who are taking naps. He's talking about dead people. So that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring him, with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall be with the Lord forever. Therefore, comfort one another with these words.
1: Very important, I think. Don't comfort one another with other words.
0: Right. So the idea is here, you're supposed to rest assured that those who've fallen asleep in Christ have a future. There's a hope. And you will see them again when Christ comes. And so the whole whole thing about sleep and us talking about what it would be like to go to sleep and then wake up is for you to realize that there is no difference between going straight to heaven and then dying and being resurrected as far as the person who dying is aware. Let's say you die and you go straight to heaven, well you're already in paradise. Let's say you die and then you're resurrected when Jesus comes, you're right into paradise again. Essentially there's no difference between the two as far as the dead person is concerned. That's right. But there is a difference on our side and how we look at things
1: when When death finally comes for its last visit to you,
0: the next thing you know, you're being resurrected, you're alive and well. Yeah. whoa. yeah. And that's kind of the amazing thing about it all. Well,
1: you know, the people who were and maybe they're still doing it, I don't know, the cryogenics, you got some kind of a disease that uh, is incurable put you on ice till they find a cure, thaw Mm -hmm. you out Mm -hmm. and I thought, you know, that sounds pretty wonderful. I wonder if the guy that invented it would just do a three day test freeze himself for three days come back out of it so we can see what it's like Yeah. then I'd have more faith
0: in him Yeah, I, I wouldn't want to freeze myself for three days. <laughs> well, the idea is that they're pretty sure they don't have the technology to bring, yeah, bring them back. So they're gonna wait until <laughs> until that time. It's a very expensive thing to do.
1: But the hope that we have, the glorious hope, is the return of Jesus. True. And that's going to usher in the kingdom of God.
0: Yeah. The next age is how the Bible likes to talk about it. We're, We're currently in this age of sin. And then there's a new age, a new set of time coming where that's not going to be here anymore. Right. Age of righteousness. You have a verse that you wanted to look at here real quick.
1: Yes, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And I'll look at verses 8 and 9 just to get a little context. Mm-hmm. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we de- despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, who raises the dead. And, you know, it's a little bit off topic, but the uh, today I find, uh, maybe I'm just too sensitive to it, but I find that people are glad that God takes away all problems. You know, you got a problem? Pray, God will take care of it. Well, Paul here is saying that they had that sentence of death in themselves, but they trusted in God, not that he would take away that sentence of death, but that he could raise the dead. Mm -hmm. Death isn't the worst thing that could happen. It is if you have no hope, but it's not the worst thing that could happen. I'm reminded of what Jesus said don't be don't fear man because all he can do is kill you.
0: Yeah.
1: I'll tell you who to fear. You fear the one that can not only kill you but destroy your soul in the fire.
0: Yeah. That's the one to fear. The ultimate destruction. Yeah.
1: The complete the one that there is no coming back from.
0: Yeah, there's a it's kind of the the last card that a man can play against another man is to kill him. Yep. Um, is is to use death as a leverage point. And um, when that is removed, you're able to do amazing things. You you can't kill a man who's not afraid of death. You know? Nope. Um, and that's what was uh, able to allow Paul to do some very bold things as far as going back into cities after he had almost been stoned to death, or travel across really uh, scary waters, or walk into the front of people who held his lives in their hands in judgment, um, but not be afraid of them because he wasn't afraid of death. No. If you're not afraid of death, then there's nothing that you can fear.
1: Well, that's right, and I don't think that you should... Take that as a license to do stupid things. Right.
0: Don't be cavalier with your life. Don't don't be silly or impulsive, but for the sake of the kingdom, if God's calling you to something, do not be afraid for your life. Right. If
1: you're doing what God wants you to do, everything's good.
0: So I wanted to take a, another look at another passage here in 2 Corinthians 5 that a lot of people... Uh, who try to support the idea of going to heaven after death usually turn to. So 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 1. For we know, And this is going to be kind of a convoluted section. It's, it's a confusing set of verses with yeah. a lot going on here. So just kind of bear with us. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as much as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be clo- unclothed, but want to be clothed. So what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us who gave to us the spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk in by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore, we also have our ambition, whether at home or absent. To be pleasing to him. Now there are two different analogies that Paul is using in conjunction with one another to make a point. He's talking about being unclothed and clothed, and he's talking about a house versus a tent. So he's he's saying right now we are both naked and living in a tent, and that is equivalent to what he says is the mortal life that which is mortal right, is this tent and, and being unclothed. And he's saying, it is better for us to be clothed and living in a house than to be unclothed and living in a tent. And he's, he's trying to draw, the, draw kind of a metaphor in our head of what the difference is between this life and the life to come. So, what are the qualities of a tent, right? It's a temporary place. It's pretty flimsy. It, it can move around a little bit, but it's not anything like a home. A home it has a lot more permanence. You know, it's a structure built up as strong. It can withstand the, the, the weather. It can withstand uh, natural disaster way better than a tent can. And it gives this idea of impermanence versus permanence. So this life is like a tent, which is not very permanent, it's not very strong, we will die. But the life to come is like a house, it's going to be permanent. And he kind of goes along with this idea of a tent versus house when he says, God has given to us the Spirit as a pledge. Now, uh, that word in in Greek, pledge, in verse 5, actually is translated down payment, like making a down payment on a house. When you go to purchase a house, you put 10, 15, 20, 30% down, and then you pay the mortgage for the rest. And God has given us a, his spirit as a down payment, kind of this act of good faith saying, I'm intending to give you more, mm-hmm. but I can't give it all to you yet. Kind of like when we pay down payment a house, we're saying, hey, bank, trust me, I'm putting $50,000 down right now. I'm going to pay you the rest later. That's what the Spirit is to us. It's showing us the power moving in our lives. It's showing us God working in us to prove to us that there's more coming.
1: Yeah. I heard a, heard a preacher talk about that one day when he was... He said, you ever go to a, a restaurant and get an appetizer? Yeah, That's what the Spirit of God is mm. for us, an appetizer. Yeah. Now you... Eat that appetizer and it's good. You're pretty well assured mm-hmm. that the meal's gonna be well worth waiting for. Right. Exactly. Same thing.
0: And of course Paul says it's better for us to be clothed and in a house rather than naked in a tent. He's like, Yeah, I would much rather be with the Lord and eternal life. Oh yeah. Than I would rather be here where I get hit in the head with rocks all the time. And I'm hungry, and I'm tired, and I'm going to die. But that doesn't mean that, it's not this idea of escapism. Paul isn't saying that, he doesn't say here, when I die, I'm going to go into my house, and I'm going to be clothed. He's saying, when I'm with the Lord, I'm going to be in my house, and I'm going to be clothed. But the same person who wrote this, we have to remember, is the same person who wrote 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians 4 where he said the dead in Christ will rise when he comes and that is when we will receive immortality. That's right. And so that's
1: when we will be with
0: the Lord forever. That's when we will be with the Lord. So Paul isn't contradicting himself. He isn't saying in 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians 4 that the dead receive immortality when Christ comes and then change his story in 2 Corinthians 5 and saying, "No, Right when we die, we're with the Lord. Paul wants to be with the Lord. And well, he thought that Jesus was coming very soon in his lifetime. Yeah.
1: Shouldn't you shall always be ready like that?
0: We should always be ready like that. The,
1: I think that uh, you hear people say, quoting from Revelation, come Lord Jesus. And that, I think exemplifies the same attitude that I don't like
0: this age. Right. I much prefer the age to come. Well, I feel that way all the time. It's got to be better. Yeah. I mean, I look around at, right now we're in the midst of the coronavirus outbreak. You know, um, people are dying and getting sick. And, And I look at all the fraud and everything that's going on in the world and all the the bad actors and politics, and I'm thinking, I just really, yeah. sometimes it's overwhelming. and I just, man, I really wish we Jesus We a better would come. government. Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of what Paul says. It's way better to be with the Lord. When he comes, it's going to be a better time. But 2 Corinthians 5 isn't talking about heaven. It's talking about the difference between this life and the life to come. Mm -hmm. And when that life comes, it's going to be with the Lord. As Paul says in other places, when Jesus comes back. Yes. So not believing in heaven doesn't mean you have to give up hope.
1: Oh, no, but you get a real hope.
0: You get the hope that the Bible lays out for us, which is Mm -hmm. what we should put our our hope in, our faith in, is the truth of the Scripture. Right. And like we said when we were talking about hell, If we can come to a better understanding of the truth, then we should seek that out, even if it makes us uncomfortable, even if it's not what we believed originally.
1: Well, I think that it could make people uncomfortable because, gosh, that goes against everything I've been taught, everything Mm -hmm. I believed. But that's only at the outset. I think the more you get into it, the more the hope you realize understanding, draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Yeah. Get Absolutely. close to him. You'll find that it's the most comfortable place to be.
0: Yeah, definitely. And there's a, there's a barrier to putting down our idea of heaven theology because then it means that our loved ones aren't in heaven anymore. Well, they they never were, but in our minds, that's something we'd have to come to to peace with. Mm -hmm. But, like we said, it doesn't change anything for them. You know, they're not conscious. They're asleep until the coming of the Lord. Um, There is one last danger. There's a danger I want to talk about with heaven theology, and I think that it can border on ancestor worship. Oh, yes. So a lot, of, uh, a lot of other religions have this idea of ancestor worship, where you pay homage and you can talk to your ancestors and you can thank them for the life that they lived that led to your family being where it is or anything like that. And I've heard people say, and I've, and I've seen it lived out, where people think that their loved ones, their grandpa, their dad, their mom, grandma, whatever, or their aunts or uncles, are in heaven, being mediators for them, being intercessors for them on their behalf. They, they essentially pray to their, to their ancestor yeah. and ask them to bring their, their yeah. prayer to God.
1: Yeah. Use your influence, would you?
0: Yeah, like when people get in a wreck, sometimes they say, my grandfather was watching over me. You know, as if he had something to do with how the wreck turned out that you weren't as hurt. as badly or you weren't hurt at all or anything like that
1: it might make you feel warm and fuzzy to
0: think but it is wrong right and the truth is we have one mediator between God and man and that is Christ the man Christ Jesus and it's God who works out everything for good who for those who trust in Christ you know it's it's God who's looking out for us it's not it's not our ancestors no And we don't want to have an incorrect belief about that.
1: Well, Paul did say that in the last time people would be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And well, gosh, if it makes you feel better, believe that.
0: Yeah. What?
1: What? As you read there from 1 Thessalonians, Paul said, this is the way it's going to be. We don't want you to be ignorant yeah. about this. So let me spell it out. And he does. He lays it out. And uh, then there he closes that section with, comfort one another with these words, mm-hmm. not anything else. Yeah, absolutely.
0: What I've seen really in modern-day Christianity is do you want to believe what the Bible says or do you want to believe what the Greeks believed? Because a lot of our, what we call orthodoxy, or heaven-hell theology, the immortal soul, um, our ancestors going to heaven, a lot of these ideas don't come from scripture. They come from the Greeks. That's right. Who believed in those things. And because there are so many Greeks who became Christians, and because those thoughts were so pervasive in the culture that they bled into the the Romans, and the Romans bled into Christianity, mm-hmm. and so it's kind of they've morphed what we believe nowadays over two thousand years. Slowly but surely, they've invaded our invaded the truth of the Scripture. Yes, and we need to correctly look to Scripture first, and then see if everything else matches up to that. Which is which is what we should all try to do. That's a, should be our intention. Is there anything else you feel like we left unsaid or, or need to touch on with this topic?
1: The kingdom of God is the uh, hope that we have. And it should be the hope of everybody. You know, mm-hmm. not like the hope of God. I'm going to buy a lottery ticket or. The publisher's clearinghouse is going to come through for me, right. Or this doctor is going to cure me." Or this church is going to help me feel better. But the way the world is, and looking at that map on your wall, you know there's a lot of people, a lot of different thinking people. And uh, Jesus is coming back, and he's going to rule the whole world, even the cold parts. <laughs> and the righteous, righteousness will cover the earth everywhere.
0: As the water covers the sea. Yeah. Now which I'm, is pretty covered.
1: <laughs> divide that for me, will you? Where the water and the sea are separate. Right. And... It's going to be a perfect government, a monarchy. A theocracy. Well, yeah, I was getting to that. But But, uh, I do think I read somewhere that the English kings, and I don't know about the ones in Europe, got their idea of being a king from what they found in the Bible. Did you know that?
0: Listen, they didn't do very well <laughs> trying to well, follow the Bible. Even the
1: kings in the Bible, some of them yeah. didn't do very well. <laughs> but, you know, God is the source of, of everything. Yeah. The wisdom of God outshines the wisdom of men. You look at the world and the situation in it, I'm not necessarily thinking about the coronavirus, but politically... North Korea, China, the Soviet, well, the, Russia. There ain't no Soviet Union anymore. And how that's all going to change to... Uh, this is politically charged. One world government.
0: <laughs> yeah, usually when we say one world go- government, it has a negative connotation. Yeah.
1: So I watched a special on the... Freemasons and the Illuminati the other day. (laughs) The Italians have a word for that. Mm. Baloney.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Balagna. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, um, our hope should be in the kingdom. And the correct teaching of that kingdom is a time where Jesus will come and establish his kingdom, where all authorities and people are going to bow to him. And it's going to be a time where death is destroyed, and those who are dead in Christ will be raised to eternal life, and those who have not been found in Christ will be destroyed in the lake of fire. And that's the truth of what Scripture says. Whether we like it or not, whether we want to believe it or not, that to me, seems to be the correct teaching from the Bible. And if we allow that truth to invade our lives, if we allow that truth to color our worldview, then I think we're going to find God in it as well. And we're going we're to see God, and we're not going to be giving up anything that's not worth giving up because the, tr- the truth is going to set us free. The truth is going to uh, inform us, and God's going to work in our lives through it.
1: Yeah, There was a, a passage in Isaiah I wanted to just throw out. Thus says the Lord, who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth and made it, who has established it, who did not create it in vain, who formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. Mm. God formed the earth to be inhabited. He didn't create heaven to be inhabited right and I like the assurance where he says I am the Lord and there is no other that plan ain't going to change right
0: yeah we God didn't God didn't create this world to be escaped from he right. created this world to have people live on it and, and his ultimate goal was what we saw in the Garden of Eden was for everything to be perfect.
1: Paradise everywhere.
0: Paradise everywhere, people living in it, and uh, God being with his people, which is what we see in Revelation 21. He's getting back to that, where the world is perfect, and God will be amongst his people once again. That's kind of the grand scheme of the Bible.
1: Yes. Have you studied that word, the Hebrew word for garden? It's paradise. 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 Yeah and they're hanging on the cross Jesus said to the one thief Mm -hmm. I'm telling you today you're going to be with me in paradise
0: yeah an interesting verse it's all about the comma in that one yeah a lot of translations like to say uh, today I tell you comma you will be with me in paradise well how does this go hold on for a second Today, comma, you'll be with me in paradise is how most translations yeah. have it. So they put the comma right after today, which makes it seem like today, like when Jesus dies and this guy dies on the cross, they're both going to paradise. Well, we know that's not true because Jesus' body went to a tomb and then was resurrected three days later. And there's nowhere in Scripture where it says that Jesus was in heaven for three days. No. But I think a better way. There is no commas in the Greek. Just to be clear, yeah. this is all an interpreter's opinion. I think a better idea would be, today I tell you, comma, you will be with me in paradise. As in, Jesus is saying, I give you the assurance right now today, that when my kingdom comes, like, we will be in paradise. You know, I'm I'm telling you, you're gonna be in paradise. Yep. Right now, today, I'm telling you. I think that's probably a better understanding of that verse. And yeah. Uh, that is another one of the verses that a lot of people like to like to quote about going to heaven, but...
1: Well, I don't think that thief died that day
0: either. Could have been another day.
1: Yeah. No.
0: And when you have a, a belief, it colors how you interpret other scriptures. Oh, yes. And so there's a lot of scriptures that are chalked up either way, depending on how you come down on the opinion. So you can't use a verse like that and say oh, this is a proof text about my, about my belief because it's equally applicable to both opinions depending on how you believe. Mm-hmm. And it's verses much more like 2 Corinthians 5, 1 Thessalonians 4, 2 Corinthians 15, that help us understand the correct way of believing, which, in, which influence those more ambiguous verses about where things are going. Exactly. And so if there's a verse that directly teaches against an idea or, or teaches a correct idea and then it seems to be contradicted later on in a more ambiguous verse, you have to kind of yield the ambiguous verse to the correct believing and not the other way around. If that makes any sense.
1: Yeah, you know, the Pharisees, when they saw Jesus, well, I was just reading that this morning, would the Messiah come out of Galilee? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Nothing it, good comes out of Nazareth. <laughs> yeah. The, uh,
1: the thing is that if it doesn't fit my way of thinking, then it can't be true. That doesn't hold. Mm. You know? The, well, I love what Peter said to Jesus when he asked, Jesus asked him, aren't you leaving too? And he said, how can we? You're the one who has the words of life. How can I?
0: Where else would we go? Yeah.
1: You know, and he didn't, Peter didn't agree with Jesus either all the time. Mm
0: -hmm. All right. Anything that we, we feel like we left unsaid as far as the topic of heaven goes? It is a dwelling place. There... Heaven is a real place. Yeah, let's be clear. Heaven is a real place. It's not like we're saying heaven doesn't exist. No. That's it's where, where God ask. dwells. It's where Jesus is right now at the right hand of God. It's where these, the angels reside. So it's not like it's a, not a real place. It's just not where people go. It's not, heaven isn't the ultimate destination of man. That's right. Facebook people are posting things
1: like, if you know somebody in heaven, repost this. I'm thinking, I know Jesus.
0: Yeah, there's one person I know for sure that went to heaven, and that's Jesus. There's so many times in Scripture where, especially in the Old Testament, where kings went to go lay with their fathers. They went, Mm -hmm. they literally went to the same tombs as their fathers. They, They died in the grave, and that's where they are with their fathers. And there's only one person that the Bible specifically says went to heaven, and that's Jesus. And in fact, Hebrews 11 says something contrary to the idea of heaven theology, uh, this idea that we receive our reward, which would presumably be paradise, right? And Hebrews 11 talks about Abraham and, and, and Moses and all these other great people of faith. And in verse 39, it says, all of these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. They're still waiting because God has provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. What is Hebrews 11 saying? He's saying that, hey, all these people that I mentioned, these great men of faith, these great women of faith... Even
1: though they didn't receive the promise.
0: Right. And we're all going to get it at the same time. We're all going to be made perfect at the same time, and that's at the resurrection. Mm -hmm. And... If you go to heaven right when you die, that is our hope. You know, like if, if we do go to heaven, that is the ultimate destination, right? We, that is our final stage of perfection. That means they would have already gained what was promised to them, they would have already gained their, their reward. But Hebrews is saying that hasn't happened yet. In fact, do you mean that Abraham's not there? No, he will be. He's mentioned. There's not very few. Peop- there's not very many people we can be certain will be in the kingdom. But the ones here in Hebrews 11, God has said, these are people that you can be for sure will be there. Abraham and Moses, we'll see them. You know. And Samson's listed there too, isn't yeah. he? Yeah. And he did some interesting things in his life. <laughs> well, you know,
1: after studying Samson's life, I've come to the conclusion. That he did what God wanted him to do, It says he's only going to start the liberation. And well, let's see, uh, killing a thousand of them. How many did he kill with that jaw jawbone? I think it was. I think it was a thousand. Okay, that's a pretty good start. And burning their wheat fields. That's another pretty good start. And then the last thing he did if that wasn't a good start I just don't know anything about military history all the princes of the Philistines were in that temple and he brought it down on all of them
0: he said the Bible says he he killed more people in that one moment than he did during his entire life that's a pretty good start taking down all the leadership and the, the higher ups yeah. They were supposed to have already had the land at that point, but they didn't finish their conquest. And yep. the book of Judges is a really messy book. <laughs> Terrible. It's a messy book. That is the R-rated book of the Bible, I think. If you don't believe me, just go read Judges 19 without your kids around. Don't read it all out because it gets pretty nasty. But anyway, we just, to kind of sum up, our future destination is this earth in a resurrected body. And we get that when Jesus comes back. The Bible doesn't teach, to the best of my knowledge, I've looked at it a lot, the Bible doesn't teach that we go to heaven when we die. We don't have this immortal soul. Our soul is a combination of our body and God's breath. We are living souls. That's what it is. And when our body is destroyed or the soul is destroyed or the breath is, it leaves us, our soul ceases to exist. Exec- ceases totally to live. Move to live, to exist in that sense. But God will reunite our body and that breath at the resurrection, but this time it will be imperishable. It will be immortal, and we'll live forever in the kingdom on this earth, the restored On earth. this earth. And that is our hope. Well, thanks so much for listening to another episode of Breakfast Theology. Uh, if you would like to get in contact with us, email us at breakfasttheology.com at gmail.com, and we'd love to uh, respond to any of your comments or questions or anything along those lines.
1: You can tell us anything. Anything. You're too boring. <laughs> we can't hear you. Please speak English. Anything.
0: <laughs> All right. Until next time. Bye now.